Are you tired of hearing people complain about the world and ready to own the responsibility to make the world a better place? Hey, my name is Brent Simpson and welcome to this episode of Creating the Future. I believe that within each of us is a yearning to make the world a better place. So let's work together and make that desire a reality. My hope is that today's conversation inspires you as you endeavor to create the future. Hello and happy Memorial Day and welcome to this very special Memorial Day episode of Creating the Future. Today is amazing because we have General Jerry Boykin with us and I cannot think of a single person better to have on the episode of Memorial Day than General uh, Boykin. Um, If you don't know who he is, just sit back because check this out. His achievements are literally too long to go over in this intro, but just just going to give you a brief overview. He is one of the founding members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force, one of the handful of people who started it and he oversaw it for a long time. Uh, He has been in major battles and covert operations all over the world, some of which we know about and some that are classified, Uh, some that you may know about. uh, If you remember the 1980 Iranian uh, hostage crisis, he was a part of that. Uh, the Operation Urgent Fury in the Grenada Islands. He was a part of that. Uh, If you remember down in Panama back in the day with Manuel Noriega, uh, he led the operation to bring that man to justice. Or if you remember uh, Pablo Escobar and uh, that situation, uh, uh, General Boykin is the one who led the covert operation to bring him down and free that country. Uh, If you don't know of any of those, you have at least probably heard of Black Hawk Down because of the movie and uh, what happened there in Mogadishu. And uh, he was the commander in that as well. So you are in for a treat. He served for years in the CIA. Uh, He was seriously wounded twice. He actually received a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star amongst a whole lot of other uh, awards along the way. Uh, He commanded special operations for a season. He commanded all of the Army's Green Berets for a season. And uh, in the midst of his 36 years in the Army, uh, he spent the last four years of those as a Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. And you are going to love this episode today uh, because we get to sit back and hear some firsthand stories of heroism and and bravery in the midst of fear and what better day to do that than Memorial Day as we remember those who have given their lives for this country. So as I was in this recording, I felt like I was sitting at the feet of some greatness, uh, someone, some grandfather who just sat back and told you some amazing stories. You're going to feel the same way. One of my big takeaways was even at the end of this podcast, he starts talking about his book, Man to Man, and what it means to be a man today in our society and uh, really good stuff there as well. So sit back, enjoy, and uh, man, don't eat too many burgers today. Happy Memorial Day. God bless you. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Creating the Future. And I am so elated right now. Just uh, just, just my mind's blown. I'm kind of in awe right now that I get the privilege of talking to General Boykin today on this very special Memorial Day podcast and sharing this with everybody as we uh, celebrate Memorial Day. So first off, just, hey, welcome, uh, welcome General Boykin to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Brent. It's great being with you on this very special occasion, especially. Yeah, I think, you know, so, so often I feel like when it comes to Memorial Day, people confuse it with Veterans Day. 
and it becomes a day just to honor all veterans, which is certainly a good day to have. We, we want those. Uh, but today specifically is really a day to memorialize those who have given their lives for the sake of this country in, in military service. And so why don't you, let's just start out by talking about that for a second. Um, with Memorial Day, what, what does that mean to you as somebody who, as I understand it, and, and you may share some of these stories, I don't know, you came close to giving your life for this country uh, uh, in service. Yeah, a couple of times, in fact. Uh, you know, Memorial Day probably for me is uh, the most, uh, I would say, valued uh, secular holiday that America has. Mm. Uh, and for the very reason that you talked about, it's, it's a day that we remember and memorialize uh, those that have fallen, those that have died serving this country. And... Uh, and you know, the origins of Memorial Day probably go all the way back to right after the Civil War and mm -hmm. when they called it Decoration Day. Right, right. And in fact, there is uh, the actual origins are, are really uh, still a little bit obscure. Hmm. But uh, there is uh, some evidence that the first Memorial Day or Decoration Day was actually celebrated by freed slaves in the uh, wow around Charleston, South Carolina in 1866. Oh, wow. A uh, time when they wanted to, uh, to decorate the graves of, uh, of their fallen comrades. And then, you know, it, I think it became a, a national holiday in 1971. Uh, uh, but it is a day that we remember uh, those people that have given the ultimate uh, sacrifice and that's their lives. And for me, it is a day that uh, I reflect on the uh, men that I've served with that uh, have died in combat. And uh, it's, uh, yeah. on the one hand, it's a sad time for me, but on the other hand, it is, uh, it's, a, it's a good time because uh, I know that these, these men did everything they could for this country. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it meant they gave their lives. And uh, I must tell you that, uh, I, I still see the faces of many of those men. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things we want to talk about here uh, in a respectful way. Uh, I, I think some of their stories get lost because unless you're part of their family or in your case, part of their unit. And so you were there as they passed away or, you know, gave their life. And, and sometimes I'm sure there's some pretty heroic acts in that, that, that probably could be captured on a movie screen, but you got to see it with your own eyes. So, so just for a second, you know, tell us some of those stories or if you wanted to, even your story, I know you have, you know, Purple Heart, and, but, but those who have just paid the ultimate price that you think should live on and we should hear their stories. Yeah, let me uh, tell you a couple of stories. Uh, and one of them I, I write about in, uh, in not only my autobiography, but my latest book uh, called Man to Man. Mm -hmm. And it's the story of uh, two young men uh, that were part of the Delta Force in uh, what we know now as the Black Hawk Down event. And I was their commander at the time. And uh, Randy Shugard and Gary Gordon, two great Americans that, uh, first of all, they went through a very rigorous ordeal just to be part of this organization. But on the uh, 3rd of October, 1993, uh, as we were fighting in Mogadishu uh, in what has become known in the book, book and the movie as Black Hawk Down. Uh, the first Black Hawk was shot down 
And uh, I sent everybody that we could muster to the crash site to help get the people out and protect them and get them back safely. Well, a second Black Hawk was shot down 30 minutes later. Now I had sent everybody to the first crash. And then the second crash occurred and uh, Randy Shugart and Gary Gordon were Delta Force snipers. Mm. They were in a Black Hawk. They were flying overhead and they saw the second crash. They watched it go in and the pilot flew over the crash site and, and uh, it was about 1800 meters from the first crash site. So it was, uh, you know, it was a good distance away in a situation like that. And they called on the radio and they asked for permission to be put in to get the men out of the helicopter because they said uh, they're still alive. They're moving, but they can't get out of their seats. Well, that was because their backs were broken. Hmm. And because uh, they went in pretty hard, but it was not burning. So they asked for permission to be put in to try and get these men out. Well, the answer, there was only one answer. Right now, we don't have anybody to send in there to, to help you. We don't have anybody to send in there. So stay, stay above them and use your sniper rifles, use the machine guns on the, uh, on the helicopter and, uh, and try to keep the Somalis away from the crash. And they did for a few minutes and they, they called a second time and, and said, you know, we, there, there's just almost too many of them. We need to go in. And of course, the answer was no. Uh, we still don't have anybody yet. I'm, I'm, I'm gathering people together right now, cooks and, and mechanics and administrative people. But right now, stay above them. And finally, the third time they called, and they just said, basically, we're the only hope. You need to put us in. Well... We put them in and uh, when they got on the ground there, they uh, very carefully got each of those crew members out and uh, they laid them down on the uh, sort of the sheltered side of the helicopter as, as they were under fire the whole time. Somalis were trying to come in to, to get to the crash site there. Mm -hmm. And uh, as soon as they got them all laid out, um, and they were all alive. They, uh, they then took up positions and just started uh, keeping the Somalis away from the crash, firing, you know, one magazine after another. Right. And finally, uh, and, and the reason that we know this story is because there was one survivor, Michael Durant, chief warrant officer, co-pilot of the helicopter. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, uh, he told us the story afterwards. And uh, finally, they had fired up all, just about all their ammunition and Gary Gordon came back to uh, Durant and said, is there any more ammo in the helicopter? And Durant said, look behind the co-pilot seat. And he found more ammunition in there and uh, came back and he actually laid a short submachine gun on the chest of Michael Durant and said, good luck. And then he went back around and threw ammunition over to Randy Shugart and, and they started shooting again. And then all of a sudden, uh, Gary Gordon heard Randy Shugart yell out, Gordy, I'm hit. I'm hit bad. And then his gun went silent and Gordy obviously knew that Randy had been killed. And then Mike told us that it wasn't long before you heard Gary yell out, I've been hit. Mm. And then his gun went silent. Yeah. Well, the Somalis swept over the site and they took uh, three of the men were killed. And uh, one was spared, and that was Michael Durant. And they took him as a prisoner. 
uh, we would call it a hostage probably, but they took him as a prisoner. And it was several days later when we finally got him back. But he told us the story of these two men that gave their lives, that gave their lives for something that was more important to them than their own lives. Mm. And that was the lives of the men in that helicopter. That was their teammates. That was their battle buddies. They had a transcendent cause that was willing, they were willing to uh, to um, sacrifice their lives, risk their lives, certainly, for these two men. Well, when they came back, when we, when we came back from Mogadishu after we had recovered all the bodies and everything, we, uh, I wrote them up for the Medal of Honor and I had the distinct privilege and honor of standing in the West Wing of the White House as the President of the United States presented the Medals of Honor to the families of these two very brave, courageous men. And you know, uh, I stood there just thinking how blessed I was to be able to serve with men like this. Mm -hmm. And you know, there is a, uh, there is an axiom, there is a sort of an ethos in the military that will leave no man behind. Mm -hmm. And what most people don't realize is we were fighting for the bodies of two of our comrades in the first crash site. That's why we stayed in there 18 hours. We were fighting for those bodies and nobody was willing to leave them behind. Mm. And then ultimately, you know, we, we lost about 15 men there. Mm. But the other thing, the very next day I was uh, standing talking to two of my soldiers that had survived that 18 hour battle in Mogadishu and the sun had just gone down and I was talking to a master sergeant and, uh, and a Lieutenant Colonel. And all of a sudden there was a huge explosion and we all went down. Uh, we didn't know what had happened. I was, I think knocked unconscious just for a moment. And when I came to, I realized I'd been hit in the legs. We'd been hit by a mortar, a mortar, four mortars were fired. Three of them went over us and out into the ocean and one landed within six or seven feet of us. And as it turned out, those two guys were between me and the mortar round when it exploded. Mm. I was wounded. Uh, and when I stood up on very wobbly legs because I had shrapnel in both legs, I looked down and my master sergeant was dead. Mm. And I can see his face today. So what does Memorial Day mean to me? Uh, I think about those men. And there are others, but those are two stories that, of, of why Memorial Day is so special to me, because this is the day that we honor not only those guys, but we honor people just like them that have stepped forward and just as Isaiah said, here am I, mm -hmm. send me. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. There, there's such a beautiful brotherhood within the military that would say, leave no man behind at any cost. And, and you see that uh, really a beautiful picture of it there. But when you leave that in modern American society, especially in the last generation or so, there's such a selfishness that's like, it's me, me, me. Everything is about dog eat dog world. I have to succeed. It's not about helping my brother succeed. Um, what, what is it about the military, do you think, that pulls people together 
in a communitas kind of way, a community kind of way where you start loving your brother more than yourself and you're willing to sacrifice yourself for them. I mean, you're, they're going back into the middle of a, of a battle to, to rescue bodies and save others. When, when most of us by our nature would say, Oh, I'm, I'm going to back out of that. You know, I'm not gonna put myself in harm's way for someone else. Yeah. You know, it starts in basic training when, yeah. when they come into the military, it starts right there in basic training where they're trained to depend on each other. They become part of a team and that team becomes very important to them. And then in many ways, that guy on their right and left, the guy in front of them, the guy behind them, it becomes part of their transcendent cause. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that it's, uh, you know, that soldiers fight for the flag. Uh, and it, a lot of them come into the military and take that oath of office because of the flag, because of the patriotism, mm -hmm. because they do want to serve. But when it comes right down to bullets flying, it's about the guy on your right and left. Right. And that is how the, the, the transcendency of your love and respect and dependence upon uh, those guys around you uh, becomes overpowering. And that's why you, if you look at every Medal of Honor, that has been given, uh, and I don't know of any that that were given that it was not a situation in which some some person, the recipient of this distinguished honor, was in a situation where somebody else's life was at stake, and they responded to it. They didn't get up in the morning mm -hmm. thinking, "Today I'm going to get a medal of honor. Today I'm going to do something heroic." Uh, quite the converse. But they were in that situation, and, the, and, and their sentiments towards those guys took over and became far more important than, than their own lives. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's right that we should honor them. The sad thing is, I think that we too frequently do confuse this with Veterans Day or the beginning of summer. Mm -hmm. And it's a very, very important holiday because, you know, um, if you if you go back and look at what John Kennedy said, he said, you know, the character of a nation by the way it treats its veterans. Well, I would mm -hmm. modify that by saying the way it honors those who have paid the supreme price. Mm. That's good. It's a good word. Uh, since it is Memorial Day in this special, um, and, and you may not want to share anything else about this, but um, you fought battles on, on multiple continents all around the world. Are there any other stories like you just shared that you would want to share? today well uh yeah there there are lots of stories uh i, I just finished a book by uh, about a man that uh, got a medal of honor in vietnam hmm. uh, and i know him uh, and his name is gary bikirk he was a green beret he was a special forces soldier and he was and he got to he got the medal of honor because he was saving mountain yards Inside his camp, his base, he was surrounded by mountain yards. These are Vietnamese mountain people. They're rather primitive tribe. Mm. But he lived with them. And that transcendent cause uh, for him was protecting those people that he had come to love and respect. Right. And Gary Bicart Kirk was shot up. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable that he survived to begin with. And, uh, but he was out there saving mountain yards, not, not Americans. So this whole 
thing, uh, you have to look at it in the context of combat. Mm -hmm. You share danger, you really begin to love the guys that uh, are around you. You really, you develop a, it's a, I don't know what kind of love it is, uh, but it is, there, there's a love that you have for the people that you share danger with, the people that you have a common cause. And, uh, and Gary Bykirk, uh, was out there not, not saving Americans. He would have if, right. if he had needed to, but he was saving mutton yards. And that says a lot about the character of a, of a soldier, of a person that's, you know, that has made a commitment, uh, not only to the country, but to the people that he fights with. Yeah. Yeah. That's such beautiful stories. And I, and I think those need to be remembered. That's what we have Memorial Day for. And so the more of these kind of stories that we can get on video and get passed down besides just father to son and grandson and such, get passed down through video and way, I think that's a special thing for Americans. All right, let me switch you know, gears. Brent, uh, Brent, one of the things that, uh, one of the stories that I think is, is just legendary is the four chaplains. Hmm. They were on a Navy ship when it was torpedoed. And the ship was going down and there were not enough life jackets. And these four chaplains sacrificed their lives to give up their, their life jackets for other men. And the last thing that uh, was reported that uh, somebody saw them doing was they were, as the, as the ship was going down, they were singing. Mm. They were mm. willfully giving their lives. We honor them on this yeah. very special day. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Let me, uh, let me switch gears slightly and ask this question. So you have obviously led some amazing men and women into battle and just in general, and, and you've been led by, I'm sure, some amazing men and women as well. Are there any leadership lessons that you've learned over the years and applied that you think uh, are worth sharing with us today? Yeah, there are a lot of them. Uh, I'll share a couple of them with you. And in, uh, in you know, the first one is that as a leader, you've got to be a, you've got to be a good communicator. You, mm -hmm. you cannot succeed as a leader. I mean, you're a, you're a pastor. Mm -hmm. You know that you have to be able to communicate. You, mm -hmm. have to, you have to be able to cast a vision. And you have to be able to do that in such an articulate way that people catch that vision. And, and, and then they become part of the execution of the vision that you have. You have to be able to talk to them very directly in terms of when they're off track. You've got to be able to set them down and speak to them in a way that is is uh, understanding yet corrective. And but the thing about uh, being a good communicator that most of us forget is you got to be a good listener to be a good communicator. Mm -hmm. You know what's the old saying? We were born with two ears and one yeah. mouth. <laughs> yeah. So we probably ought to listen you know, twice as much as we talk, yeah. but, uh, being a good communicator is, uh, is fundamental to being a good leader. Whatever your organization is that you lead, even in your home, being a good communicator is, mm -hmm. is critical. The second thing is hold yourself to the same standards that you establish for others. Mm -hmm. And what you see, and, and we all have seen it, and we've seen it among general officers in the military, uh, but we've seen it among in churches. We've seen it in, uh, in all kinds of settings where a leader uh, doesn't live up to his own standards. He develops an attitude of entitlements. Well, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm at the top of the stack. I've 
Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've put more time in, and so I'm entitled to a little something extra. And it, it could be any number of things. It could be a moral failure. It could be a financial kind of thing. But uh, if, if you don't live up to the standards that you establish for other people, then uh, you are not going to be an effective leader. Ultimately, mm-hmm. it, you know, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. And when you develop that attitude of entitlement, thinking that the rules don't apply to you, then uh, you're on a path to uh, some serious failures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good word right there. Uh, every you know, we're a pretty rapidly growing church where we are, and we hire quite often. It seems like sometimes, and I know there's one thing that always stands out on a resume, and that is military service. Because I, because it's for several reasons, but two of the big ones would be because of that selfless attitude you learn, learn in the military, you, you learn those things. And because of the leadership that you learn in the military and, and being structured and disciplined and follow through. And, and like you're saying here, you never demand something of others that you wouldn't do for yourself and, and carry yourself. Yeah. So you have two books that, uh, one that has recently come out. Um, I think you've got more than two, I think, but two that I guess are the bigger yeah. ones and a book called never surrender a soldier's journey to the crossroads of faith and freedom. And then you got a book that I guess is coming out right now or just came out called man to man rediscovering masculinity in a challenge, challenging world. Let's talk about those real fast. Uh, what are those about? Uh, why should any of our listeners uh, go to Amazon and, and purchase those? Yeah, my uh, autobiography, Never Surrender, mm-hmm. uh, I wrote back in 2008 after I retired from the Army, and it is really, uh, it, is a, it is my life in the Delta Force, my life in the uh, Army for 36 and a half years, and then uh, some of the battles that I went through uh, with faith, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, I can just tell you that there was a period there in Mogadishu where I literally sat down on my bunk after all the carnage uh, and the the men that I had lost and I'd been wounded. And and I sat down on my bunk and I questioned whether God even existed. Mm -hmm. So, and I wrote about that because I wanted to be transparent. I wanted people to realize I had been serving the Lord for 23 years at that time. Yeah. But the tragedy of what happened there in Mogadishu, uh, was such that it shook my faith. But let me tell you, uh, and, you know, some people will say this is goofy, but the moment I said in my heart, there is no God, I heard the audible voice of the Lord. Wow. And, uh, and, and over time, I realized what a privilege it was. What a great privilege it was for me to be there with these men when they took their last breaths. Oh, it hurt. And it still does. Yeah. But what a privilege it was. God, God allowed me to be there with them. Yeah. And I hope in some way that I encourage them and in, in, in their faith. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's, that's my autobiography. And I, I tell a bunch of stories about the operations we were in in Mogadishu, but, but I tell them from a perspective of now, what was the faith component here? Mm-hmm. What was the faith component? And then my new book, Man to Man, um, is it, just what it says. It's, it's talking to men, and I will tell you, it's not very politically correct. It's coming straight at men. Mm-hmm. In fact, my publisher, when he looked at the uh, manuscript, he said, you know, you're going to get kicked around pretty hard over this. And I said, good. 
that's where I want to be because at this point in life, that's not important to me. Right. Uh, my wife loves me. My dog loves me and Jesus <laughs> loves me. And, uh, and that's what's important. But, yeah. uh, Man to Man is really a book about what what has God called us to be, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I I really do come at it from the perspective that God has called us to be five things. Uh, one is a provider, and we provide more than just the financial needs. You know, we provide direction, we provide leadership, we provide identity. Think about mm-hmm. that. You know, how many young boys are running around now and don't know who they are because yeah. they don't, they don't have a father in the home. Yeah. So a man is a provider. A man is also a defender and it's not just defending our home. You know, I'm a big second amendment guy. I got a lot of guns, but, uh, but I also know that the things that I hold dear, my values, I have to defend. That's mm-hmm. why I'm, I'm not only, pro second amendment. I'm pro first amendment. I'm pro all amendments in the constitution. <laughs> right. But uh, just think of, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I, I believe in equality, but I also believe in life. And I, uh, I do all I can in the pro-life movement to defend those helpless unborn babies in the mm-hmm. womb. So a man is a defender. A man is also an instructor. And this is where we need to understand the great commission is making disciples of all nations. We need to be mentoring. Uh, We need to be sharing our knowledge, especially when you get to be 72 years old, like I am Mm -hmm. You need to be sharing what you've learned through life's hard knocks. Uh, And you need to be teaching your children, you know, what's important in life, what's going to sustain your children. And then uh, a man is a battle buddy. And, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man strengtheneth another. One of the problems in America is that men don't have a battle buddy. They don't have somebody that they have the same intimate relationship with. That Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart had with those men that they went in there and saved uh, and pulled out of that helicopter. A man needs a battle buddy that he can share his fears with, his concerns with he can call and he knows that this battle buddy's going to pray for him. And, uh, and, and the battle buddy's going to call him with his concerns and his fears and his apprehensions. And you can tell your battle buddy when you failed and your battle buddy is the one that's going to say, okay, it's not how many times you fall it's how many times you get up now get up mm-hmm. and, and, and confess it and get on with it. And then finally a man is a, uh, is a chaplain and, uh, you know, in uh, 1980, we went into, in the Delta Force, we went into uh, Tehran, Iran. We were going in to rescue 52 Americans that were being held in the U.S. Embassy there uh, by the followers of the Ayatollah Khomeini. And uh, the night before we launched that operation out of a place called Wadi Kenya, Egypt, an old Russian MiG base there. Uh, the commander of the Delta Force, Charlie Beckwith, came up to me. I was just a young captain. And he said, before we launch tomorrow, would you get these men together and would you pray and ask God's blessings upon us? Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible says be ready in season and out of season, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I had no idea that he was going to ask me to lead those men in prayer. And there's, and there's on the Internet, you can find a picture of it now. I'm there standing there with a long beard and... <laughs> 
blue jeans and we were all going into civilian clothes, but I'm standing up on a platform and all these, the whole force is gathered around and we're praying as I'm leading a prayer. We're praying. And uh, I was not expecting that, but you got to know enough about the Bible and you got to have enough of a relationship with God that when those opportunities come unexpectedly, you are ready. And then in your home, you've got to be the one that, uh, that, that, that helps your family understand what God's expectations are. You're the chaplain. Right. And then, you know, uh, finally, if you are a man, you need to bless your children mm. and you need to bless your wife. You need to lay your hands on them and bless them. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Deuteronomy, last chapter of Deuteronomy, as, uh, as Joshua was getting ready to lead three to four million Israelites across the Jordan River to conquer the promised land, the Bible says that Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had yeah. laid his hands on That meant Moses had blessed him. Yeah. God created Adam and Eve, and the next thing he did was he blessed him. We have to get into practice at Christmas or Thanksgiving or in an everyday situation where we bless our children because so many, especially boys, are wandering aimlessly because they've never been affirmed by a man. So this is what I write about in the book, and it's really directed at men, and, uh, and I don't pull any punches. So Yeah, uh, well, that, that's what men need, though. Enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. That's what men need though. There's, there's too often we are pulling punches instead of being man to man and men right. rise to those kind of occasions. You know that probably yeah. better than most with your, your service in the military. Yeah. If someone wants to get one of those books, uh, they just go to Amazon or is there a better place? I would say Barnes and Noble or books of me and Amazon is very slow right now. Okay. Amazon sold out and then they, they got more, but they, they're slow in uh, shipping books. They put books on it. So, last priority right now during the COVID thing. So yeah. Barnes and Noble or, or, uh, or uh, books a million is better. All right. The books are Never Surrender, A Soldier's Journey to the Crossroads of Faith and Freedom. And the one that's just now coming out is Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World. And uh, if somebody wants to learn more about you, uh, General Boykin, how do, they, how do they do that? Well, you can go to my Facebook page, uh, Lieutenant General Boykin. Mm-hmm. Uh, or my private, I mean, my personal page is just uh, Jerry Boykin. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you can find me there. And, uh, and you can uh, also follow us at uh, Family Research Council, where I'm the executive vice president by going to frc.org. 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 All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this very special Memorial Day podcast. And I hope it was fun for you to talk about. And I know it's a blast for me to sit and listen to it. I just, you get those moments. Sometimes you feel like you're, you're sitting at the feet of greatness and just hearing stories that inspire you and encourage you. So thank you so much, General Boykin, for being on Creating the Future today. Thank you. It's been a privilege to be with you.
I hope you enjoyed this conversation today, and I especially hope it added value to you. If you enjoyed it, would you do me a favor and give us a five-star rating on your podcast provider? It really helps to get the word out. And of course, if you share this content with your friends, that would be great too. And until next time, I hope you continue creating a better future. I look forward to being with you again soon.